Hi, this is Sue from SOAS Radio. Today we are joined by Professor Hinsef from SOAS's own Zoroastrian Institute, who has a PhD in Indo-Iranian studies and made a study on the semantics of reward in a Western and Vedic text. We are also joined by author, screenwriter and former commissioning editor of Channel 4, Mr. Farouk Dondi, who wrote the film The Faith of Zarathustra. He also made the 1994 film Bandit Queen and is currently writing a series on the Mughals for ZTV. Today we'll be discussing the film The Faith of Zarathustra and the newly opened Zoroastrian Institute at SOAS, as well as the upcoming SOAS exhibition Living Zoroastrianism. We will also touch on issues relating to the origins and history of the faith and its adherence in the Parsi community in India. Professor Hinse and Mr Dondi, welcome to the programme. Thank you. Thank you. Professor Hinse, where does your journey in the study of Zoroastrianism begin? My journey into the study of Zoroastrianism began with the languages. I started off as an Indo-Europeanist, and in particular I was studying Latin and Greek. And from Greek I moved on into Sanskrit, and then from Sanskrit I moved into the ancient Iranian languages, the language of the Avesta, which is the language of the sacred texts of the Zoroastrians. And I stopped there and got deeper and deeper involved in the study of the Zoroastrian religion. And Mr. Dondi, where does your journey into Zoroastrianism begin? At birth, I suppose, I was born a Parsi Zoroastrian. At the age of seven, I think, yeah, I was initiated into the faith with the Naujot. And then at the age of nine or ten, I began to be extremely sceptical about muttering prayers I didn't understand. And uh, at the age of eleven or twelve, I turned communist, I think, and rejected Zoroastrianism in that form and rejected the idea of, uh, you know, heaven and hell and sin and fires and rituals and whatnot. And I attributed the poverty of India to uh, superstition, religion, and the practices that Hindus, Muslims, Zoroastrians, Buddhists, and Christians followed. I grew up a skeptic, but uh, I got interested again in Zoroastrianism when I was reading the history of of the Achaemenid Empire, you know, Darius, Cyrus, Xerxes, etc. I'm no scholar, I'm no historian, I'm just a reader. And through that, I got interested in the religious basis of what we believe is the, is the beginning of monotheism. I mean, we invented God. And if we'd patented him, we could have made a lot of money. Professor Hinsa, we've mentioned India, and I noticed that your background was in Indo-Iranian studies. Is Zoroastrianism the original Brahmanism? No, it isn't. You rather need to look at uh, Zoroastrianism and Brahmanism as two sisters, of uh, two descendants of one common ancestor, and that is the Indo-Iranian religion. So both Zoroastrianism and Hinduism, or Brahmanism, have a common source, a common parent from which they both derived, but each of them have their own history from then on. Mm-hmm. And does the Rig Veda contain any parallels to verses in the Avesta? Uh, lots of them. Both the Rig Veda and the old Zoroastrian texts date from presumably from around the same time, uh, which is around 1500 BC. And there are lots of parallels in uh, poetic expressions, individual words, such as in Avestan we have Armaiti for right-mindedness, and that's Aramati in Sanskrit. We have Vahu Manach in Avestan, and that would be in Sanskrit Vasu Manas. So an ancient Vedic speaker and an ancient Avestan speaker, they would in all probability have understood each other and been able to communicate with one another. Mr. Dondi, what is your take on the historical relationship between Zoroastrianism and Brahmanism? 
Well, you know, as the professor said, they have a common root in the Aryan origins with nature gods by and large and um, an eschatology that they had invented possibly in the Russian steppes. There's no real evidence left. But when they came down, and that's the theory, they came down one branch into Iran, one branch into India. What happened with the Iranian branch is that a fellow turned up and said, forget all these other gods, there is only one. And that was Zarathustra, the Zoroaster. And um, in the Indian branch, the Aryans are mingled with, I think, the Dravidians of the Indus Valley civilization. Again, there is no 100% proof that they were Dravidians, but I think they were. And, you know, I've written, written bits about it. The Aryans interacted over a hundred or more years, and the Vedic religion was formed through that interaction. So there's one, one branch saying there's only one god, forget about all these gods, and there's another one developing a whole heap of gods with some new ones like Shiva. Mm-hmm. Were the two religions cut off at that point? Was there any cross-pollination? I don't think so. Not at uh, that early time, yeah. No. Not at that early time, yeah. but then later, yes, there was uh, interaction uh, between the two of them um, throughout the centuries, let's say from the Achaemenid period onwards at, at the latest, the Iranian Empire stretched into into India and the area which today Pakistan has been under Iranian influence for ever since then. So there was a lot of exchange going on. But you by know, then, uh, Hinduism was already very well developed in its own form. Mm-hmm. A lot of people in my school history in India I was brought up there. The English textbooks all said that Alexander the Great came in 326, 330 into India, into west of the Indus, and he found a king there called Porus. And all the history books said Porus was an Indian king, and it's probably a perversion of the word Purush, which means man, but it's no such thing. Porus is a very common Zoroastrian name as is Farouk or Farshid or Firdos. And Porus was a satrap of the Achaemenid Empire of Darius III. He was a governor of a province of the Persian Empire, which was Punjab. Professor Hinse, I want to say congratulations on the recently opened Zoroastrian Institute at SOAS. What are the aims and objectives of the institute? The uh, institute, which is um, most importantly an endowed institute, thanks to the generosity of Mr. Shapur Mystery, and it is in fact called the Shapurji Palonji Institute of Zoroastrian Studies. This institute has three main objectives. It is teaching, outreach and research. And teaching is obviously uh, to have an academic representation uh, in the university and teach uh, the Zoroastrian religion and educate the next generation of scholars and other people who are well versed in the knowledge of the Zoroastrian religion. Research is to promote the understanding uh, and study of Zoroastrian of Zoroastrianism, and outreach is to increase the general profile of Zoroastrianism in wider society and uh, uh, as an educational activity. Will there be any 
cross-departmental studies. Definitely. Uh, Zoroastrianism reaches into so many different disciplines, be it uh, anthropology, sociology, linguistics, uh, study of religions, ritual studies, and uh, we work together with colleagues in, uh, in, a, in all of these departments. So it is a... Uh, uh, a, a, a field which radiates into many different disciplines. And that's also why uh, the institute, the Shapurji Palunji Institute, is a SOAS institute, although its home is uh, in the department of the study of uh, philosophies and religions. Mm. Um, a question for both of you now. Could you each give a brief outline of Zoroastrian philosophy for those who'd like to learn more? First hints first. Well... Uh, as we have already heard, Zoroastrianism is a monotheistic religion. There is one God, one supreme God, whose name is Lord, Wise Lord or Ahura Mazda. And uh, he is a creative God. That means he is seen as the creator of the world. Um, the world, his creation exists not only as a visible manifestation of material, visible uh, beings, living beings, and also uh, inanimate beings like the earth and the air, the sky, uh, but also his creation exists on a spiritual level. So each visible uh, manifestation has a counterpart in the spiritual world, and these are the, his Ahura Master spiritual and material creations. And it's on the spiritual level that everything that exists has a negative counterpart, and that is evil. The spiritual world is un, is immortal, and uh, so evil exists uh, on a spiritual level and is equally immortal. It's a force which is unconnected with good, with Ahura Mazda, and the Zoroastrian explanation for the presence of evil in the material world is that this evil destructive force broke into Ahura Mazda's perfect material creation and corrupted it. And the purpose of the material creation is to rid both the material and the spiritual worlds from the presence of evil. And at the end of time, evil is going to be removed from this material world it's going to be defeated and evil will withdraw powerless again at the end of time uh, mr dondi what's your brief outline of zoroastrian philosophy well i was brought up with a lot of mumbo jumbo of zoroastrianism but what professor Hintra has said is completely correct and you know Aura mazda and ereman were the two forces of the truth and the lie is how it was explained to me. But finally, if you want to distill the ethics of Zoroastrianism, it's humata, hukta, huvareshta, which means good thoughts, good words, good deeds. And if you live by that, said my grandmother, you'll be all right. And so <laughs> try and get on with it and don't fall for the lie. Uh, well, I try, but it's hard. Mm -hmm. Mr. Dondi, you are of the Parsi community. Indeed. Could you give us a brief history of your community and how did they end up in India? The Zoroastrian uh, community ruled in Persia in, through the Hakamanyush times, Achaemenid as in Greek, and gave the Roman Empire a run for its money 
captured some Roman emperors, spread into the Roman territories. You have the great story of the Greeks fighting uh, Xerxes, fighting um, at Thermopylae, you know, uh, fighting Leonidas and his, and of course that's uh, written by the Greeks, so they've written the history rather than us, and I'd prefer to write it myself, including uh, the history of Alexander, who came and ruined that empire. He killed Darius III and spread himself, looted the place, burnt the libraries and went back. So we don't call him Alexander the Great, we call him Alexander the Damned. <laughs> and after that, the sacking of the Persian Empire by Alexander, there were a few hundred years lasting through zero, uh, the Christian zero AD, uh, to about 235, I think, when the uh, Zoroastrian chief, a chieftain, reasserted himself and began the Sasanian dynasty. One of the last kings of this, the last king of the Sasanian dynasty was uh, uh, Yazdigerd III and the Muslims in 641 or so. 51. 651. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He died. In, invaded mm. Persia, defeated Yazdigerd III, sent his son uh, to China. He ran away to China and uh, they dominated, they converted the country to Islam, some by force, some because uh, Zoroastrian was, Zoroastrianism was getting on the nerves of the people because they were being oppressed by priests and so on. And they stayed there for maybe, it's quite uncertain, maybe 100, 200 years after 651. And around the 8th century, 700 years later, some of them migrated to uh, India. They came by, by boat and this and that, and they were allowed to settle in Gujarat by the then king. There are all sorts of famous stories or apocryphal stories about the king saying, look, we are full, you can't come here. And so the Zoroastrian priest who'd come with them ordered a glass of water or milk, they said, and he poured some sugar into it and the milk didn't spill over. He said, we will dissolve into your community as uh, as sugar dissolves inside milk without you know the intermolecular structure they didn't know about that but uh, that's what it was mm -hmm. first hints do you have anything to add about the history of the parsi community well i think uh, yes definitely the the parsis uh, in india have been settling there chiefly after the arab conquest Maybe there, there must have been con connections also before. And uh, most distinctively, over time, um, the Parsis, um, they, they became more more regarded as a caste in India, and they kept to themselves uh, trying to preserve their identity in a foreign land. And that's a t typical feature of of communities, uh, diaspora communities, so they need to delineate their borders and uh, they stuck to themselves and then certain marriage laws uh, developed, um, one of them being that they should marry within the community. But both in India and Iran, these are rules which develop within the minority uh, societies to delineate the borders of their communities. Mm -hmm. I've read that there were only 50,000 so-called P 
pure Parsis left, of which Miss Dondi, you are one of them. Why are they dying out? And is there anything that can be done to reverse the situation? The joke in Bombay is that the reason they're dying out is half of us are homosexual and the other half are statues in Bombay. Uh, but of course, that's not true. It's that this inclusiveness, the, you know, uh, the guardedness of the community when it landed in India didn't want to spread itself, wanted to preserve its faith. And it formed a kind of racism, you know. And the kind of racism was that you stick to yourself, you don't accept any converts to your, you know, to your creed, and you marry within yourself. And the inbreeding caused a bit of the fallout, right? And uh, I don't believe the 50,000 figure. I think it must be about 200,000 oh, if you count oh, them in Canada. Usually we think we have Britain got about 120,000 Zoroastrians yeah. worldwide. And of these, yeah. there are the largest communities still in India. Mm-hmm. There used to be 90,000. Now we are down to between 70 and 60,000 in yeah. India. Yeah partly due to a low birth rate, but also partly due to emigration from India into the new world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, of course, what happens is, uh, if there are no Zoroastrians, there's no Zoroastrianism. The faith will die out without Parsis. And so, you know, one suggests all sorts of bizarre solutions. First Hinsek, could you tell us about the upcoming virtual reality exhibition, Living Zoroastrianism, which will be taking place at SOAS in October? Yes, this exhibition is going to be opened on the 11th of October in the evening and uh, it showcases Zoroastrianism as a living religion. We are going to show a virtual reality video which people can experience uh, by means of virtual reality glasses. They will be immersed in the performance of a yasna ritual which my research team of the multimedia yasna filmed in India last November and uh, this is the Multimedia Yasna project is funded by the European Research Council and it's a five-year project uh, running until 2021 and this film is part of our outputs. Visitors of the exhibition can get a flavour of this particular part of the output and by making this ritual available in this form, a ritual uh, which is well, three and a half thousand years old, visitors have the opportunity to experience this ritual, which otherwise is only open to members of the Zoroastrian community. And in India, the only place where this ritual is performed nowadays is in India. It used to be performed also by the communities in Iran, but there the know-how got lost about 50 years ago. And also in India, the Yasna ritual and the other rituals which are performed within inside the Zoroastrian fire temples are endangered heritage because demands for performance of these rituals is decreasing are decreasing. So we are trying to open up this ritual to the world and also to preserve this endangered heritage. At uh, this exhibition we will also showcase um, voices of Zoroastrians from Iran, which were recorded by my colleague, Dr. Sarah Stewart, some years ago. And the Zoroastrians from Iran, they will speak. They speak in their Dari dialect, which is also an endangered heritage. So visitors can also listen to these voices. And there will be a few cases, exhibition cases, where we show uh, some objects and costumes uh, of the Zoroastrians, which they use in their daily practices. Mm -hmm. 
And that will take place in the Brunei Gallery at SOAS? Yes, it's going to be shown in the foil uh, gallery within the Brunei Gallery. The exhibition is open from the 15th, from the 12th of October to the 15th of December 2018 here at SOAS in the Brunei Gallery. Mm-hmm. Professor Hintze. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Very interesting. Yeah. Within the academic field of Zoroastrian studies, what are the biggest mysteries that need to be solved? The biggest mystery for me are uh, the texts which the Zoroastrians recite. Um, for me, language is a key to a civilization, to a thought system. And I'm fascinated by delving into these texts and hearing these voices um, from a long time ago and I see the reverberations of the meaning, meanings of these texts up to the present day within the Zoroastrian community. Also when I hear Farouk speaking about what he believes, it's uh, all of that rings a bell um, and it's a different way of approaching this civilization. I'm I'm uh, so delighted that this religion is alive, that there are members of the community um, here now and uh, today. And I hope they will be with us for uh, with in the world for a very long time into the future. And to bring together these two these two approaches of the of this ancient tradition. That means as a living religion today, which still practices these ancient rituals and recites these texts in this very ancient language from three and a half thousand years ago, and then also look at it from the history, the tradition which has survived in different forms, in manuscripts, in monuments, and then bring these two approaches together and trying to unlock the meanings of the texts and the thought system which uh, underpins the text. It is for me the greatest fascination of this tradition. Mm-hmm. And Mr. Dondi, as a Parsi, what are the biggest mysteries for you? I don't know about mysteries. Uh, one of the one of the big um, hurdles that one has to get over is the kind of prejudices that the Parsi community has built for itself, mm-hmm. uh, and they are quite long, quite uh, occasionally or quite prevalently a historical. Um, and I am out of some out of mischief, right? But with some serious intent, um, wrote articles and a film, which by and large is called the Path of Zarathustra mm-hmm. rather than the Faith of Zarathustra. Yeah. Uh, and um, what it says is, and I've lectured on this and been, you know, attacked and booed and fatwaed about it. Is uh, I said one we should the Parsi community, if it wants to expand itself and for Zoroastrianism to survive, it ought to sell the Malabar Hill, Bombay, Towers of Silence, where the dead are placed to be eaten by vultures, because it's not necessary in the Zoroastrian faith to be eaten by vultures. You can be buried. If you couldn't be, why do Cyrus, Darius and Xerxes have tombs, right? They were buried. They weren't eaten by vultures. It's only the poor who were landless and couldn't afford uh, a, a grave that you know that threw their bodies to the vultures. I think mm-hmm. so. If we sell those, which is a prime property, prime real estate in India, we could bank billions, trillions of pounds, dollars, 
rupees, whatever. And then with that money, we encourage a lot of women to become Parsi baby mothers. You give them flats, uh, one chauffeur, one Fiat car, and a, a maid in Bombay, and they can choose any um, Parsi male they want to interact with and make babies every nine months. Uh, that's the obligation that they have. And uh, it's not that they are forced into choosing one or the other. You know, they can choose the most handsome or the most intelligent or the one who takes them out or meets them on the internet or whatever. But that's what they have to do. And so if we can get uh, 500,000 of them, you know, from wherever, from Kerala, from Romania, from uh, Estonia, from uh, Yugoslavia, whoever, uh, from Persia, uh, they become baby mothers, they grow the community. If we have half a million of them, we'll have half a million new Parsis every year. Isn't that, that's a solution. And then the faith will stay alive. And we can, I've been abused very severely for such a solution. Mr. Dondi, you mentioned your film. Could you tell us about when the film was conceived and the writing and production process behind it? I was <coughs> expounding exactly this theory to a friend of mine and saying this is not necessary to, to Zoroastrianism and neither is that and so on. Because obviously the solution is if Parsi women marry uh, Punjabis or uh, Sri Lankans or whoever, um, they should be allowed, their children should be allowed to be Zoroastrians and enter the faith uh, as long as they learn the faith. Because a faith is a religion. Zoroastrians are not Parsis. The Parsis are not necessarily the only Zoroastrians allowed. You know. Yeah, perhaps we need to clarify Parsi, the term Parsi. Yeah. It literally means someone who comes from Persia. And the Parsi uh, was used in India of the Zoroastrians who had settled in India. So Parsi are this, those Zoroastrians who have settled in India. Um, the Zoroastrians from Iran, they are Satushtis. Mm -hmm. So those are, they are not... With the term Parsi is for the Zoroastrians, used yeah, for the, of the Zoroastrians in India. Mm -hmm. There are Parsis in Azerbaijan. Would you believe there are Parsis in China? But uh, a small amount in Western China. Professor Hinse, how are the Parsi community dealing with the turn to the right in Indian politics right now? Oh, well, I, I don't really want to get involved uh, in this, uh, I think. But in, in general, the Zoroastrians, um, they are in general very loyal to their country, in whichever country they set, settled. They've settled and um, the uh, Zoroastrian community, they generally, they just want to live in peace and get on with their businesses. Mm -hmm. Mr. Dondi, do you yeah. have anything to add? Yeah, that's, uh, that's by and large true. But as a minority, we are, you know, uh, unlike the vast, uh, you could hardly call them minority, the Muslims of India feel threatened by the move to the right wing. Whereas the Parsis feel that we are a protected community. Nobody has really attacked our religion, our ways, or anything or the other. You know, uh, perhaps it will get unstable if the intolerance begins to spread. But I believe that the intolerance is temporary, even towards the Muslims, because in the end, it's not the government who rules, it's capitalism that rules the government. 
and capitalism doesn't care what religion you are, as long as you make money out of you. Mm-hmm. Professor Hintz, we've heard about the exhibition. What other Zoroastrian-related projects are you working on at the moment? Well, I mentioned my multimedia Yasna project, out of of which the exhibition is an offshoot. And uh, this uh, multimedia Yasna project, as I said, is funded by the European Research Council of the European Union with uh, 2.5 million euros. It runs for five years, started in the autumn 2016, runs until 2021. And uh, this project uh, is uh, approaches the central Zoroastrian ritual, the Yasna ritual, from two angles. One is the written transmission in the manuscripts and the other is the practice of the ritual, uh, the ritual performance. And uh, we have made a full-length film of the ritual in virtual reality. Uh, that means it's as a three-dimensional film and in, uh, as a two, uh, two-dimensional film. And the two-dimensional film is going to be published um, and we are going Uh, online and we are going to provide subtitles where you can read the recitation text and the viewer will also be able to engage with the film you can click on a word and you get a translation of the of a sentence and we explain the ritual actions that are being performed and uh, the ritual implements which are being used so the purpose of this is to unlock the ritual to open it up to make it Uh, to talk about what it means and what the what are the, the words which the priests recite and what do they mean and uh, as far as the t- written tradition is concerned we are going to develop electronic tools for editing texts based on many manuscripts um, and we are going to make critical text editions Uh, of these texts and uh, to translate the text and provide a commentary. And these editions will be published as books. Mm-hmm. Mr. Dondi, are you working on any Zoroastrian-related projects at the moment? Um, I've finished it again for the, for the young lady who made the path of Zarathustra. I've finished a short film, I'm just writing about it, uh, called Anahita's Law. Um, and What it is, is what's happening in India is the, the right-wing government is proposing a uniform civil code. It will, you know, stop, it will prevent the recognition of four wives for Muslims. It will prevent uh, the inheritance laws of the Hindus being unfair to women. And they asked me, uh, this young lady said, how will it affect Zoroastrianism? So I said, well, it should allow the children of uh, Zoroastrian women, whoever they are married to, to be Zoroastrians, right? And that kind of uniform civil code. So I've written a monologue, an art monologue. It's a, it's a diatribe. It's not really a film. It's not a narrative, you know, which will attract uh, Bollywood viewers. It's just a, 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 an art piece in which this girl the director actor herself plays the part of anahita the goddess of water the goddess of justice god knows what she is but a uh, professor probably does know yeah water is but, quite yeah. good yeah but she's attributes all sorts of mm. attributes to her and she says i'm going to introduce three women to you and these three women have their stories 
uh, and they're taken from real life, from stories that I know of, and how how the new law might change these, or we hope for a greater future for for the Parsi community. So that's a, a short art film. Apart from that, I have uh, no credentials to write anything about Zoroastrianism. <laughs> Professor Hinsa and Mr. Dundi, I'd like to thank you both for being here. Finally, though, before we leave, what advice do you have for anyone who wants to study the religion or those who are just curious to learn more? My advice is come to SOAS and do an MA in religions of Asia and Africa focusing on Zoroastrianism. Ms. Mm. Dundi? I really don't know what I've read some books, I suppose. Mm -hmm. Uh, don't follow the internet. <laughs> <laughs> Professor Hinsey, Mr. Dondi, thank you for being here. Thank you very much. Thank you. <laughs>